0: Hello and welcome to the Vulture TV podcast. I'm your host, Gazelle Amami. On this week's show, we're talking our favorite TV shows and episodes of the year so far. I'm here with New York Magazine TV critic Matt Solar Sites.
1: Hi, Gazelle. Hi,
0: Matt. And Vulture TV columnist Jen Chaney.
2: Hi, Matt. Hi, Gazelle.
1: Hey, Hi, Jen.
0: Jen. So before we get into our discussion of
2: the best shows of the year...
0: We have an announcement to make, which some of you may have heard on Twitter already. But this is actually one of our last episodes of the Vulture TV podcast ever. It's coming to an end so we can all move on to do other things. You know, it's just it's been such an amazing experience doing this podcast. It's been through a number of iterations and but throughout it all, I think we've just been really just grateful to be able to talk about yeah. television in such great depth together it's been great yeah it's been
1: great i want to make the announcement yeah. that i'm leaving to uh, raise fighting chipmunks <laughs> a, Matt I has very a, important uh, things to fighting do, chipmunk so. uh, chipmunk fight club <laughs> is what i'm is what i'm working on uh although i guess i'm the first rule is i'm not supposed to talk about it but you know <laughs> uh. And I'd like to
2: announce that uh spoiler alert the final episode of the vulture tv podcast it turns out we've all been in purgatory the whole time. <laughs>
1: so. It was all a dream.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: What an end.
1: It was all a dream. It was the, the guy in the members only jacket killed this podcast.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to stop in mid sentence. <laughs> 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 But we really do have to play Don't Stop Believing" as our last song, by the way. I think so. Oh, yeah. yeah. We are taking requests. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so, please or, email us at or TV we, questions. Or if we want to infuriate people, it could be all along the watchtower.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> people still are salty about Battlestar Galactica.
0: But no, I mean, Matt and Jen will both still be writing great TV criticism on, on Vulture. Or so. at least
1: adequate in my case. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and semi-mediocre in mine. <laughs> oh, you guys. <laughs> We'll be typing letters and then we'll publish them. Yes.
1: Home of adequate television criticisms, 1991.
0: <laughs> I'm curious if you guys have any other TV podcasts you listen to regularly that we can recommend to our listeners. So they have somewhere to move on after after we go
1: away. I would recommend the Slate Culture Gap Best with some people that I like a lot. And also uh, TV Avalanche with Brian Grubb and my good friend and former Star Ledger colleague Alan Seppenwall, which is uh, uh, very, very good.
2: Yeah. And I was going to mention another one that I think is retooling itself a little bit, the spin-off, which features uh, our colleague Joe Adalian through KCRW. I think they're going on a little hiatus and trying to kind of redefine themselves. But, um, you know, Joe and, and the other folks who do that podcast are extremely knowledgeable. So once they've kind of retool themselves, I would recommend checking them out.
0: And my pick is Appointment Television, which is co-hosted by Margaret H. Willison, Andrew Cunningham, and Vulture contributor Catherine Van Arendonk, who has been on the Vulture TV podcast a couple times as well. And they talk about both old TV and new TV on this show. And if you've liked the way that we've talked about TV trends, I think you'll get a lot out of this show too.
2: Also, I just want to mention something a little sad, which is while I was trying to make sure I wasn't forgetting other TV podcasts, I was searching, like, great TV podcasts. And I kept finding articles that were like, listen to the Vulture TV podcast. It's really great. And I'm like, man.
0: <laughs> oh!" Well, there will always be our old episodes that That's are true. a little bit more evergreen. Right. And I think, you know, people can always still go back and revisit us whenever they like, <laughs> as will we. <laughs> Uh, we will
1: live
2: forever in reruns. I'm actually
1: downloading. Uh, I'm actually downloading all the episodes and putting them on a thumb drive, so that one day my grandchildren can experience the uh, the glories of me reminiscing about the theme to Angie. <laughs> 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 it's so much of a great historical interest. Actually, I like the the TV theme song and and uh, credits and stuff. Those episodes uh, I think are pro- probably were yeah. my favorites.
0: Yeah, they were fun. I, for one, cannot go back and listen to myself, so I won't be putting myself through that. So, shall we move on to our favorite shows of the year?
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Let's
0: do it. I mean, I can't really believe the year is already halfway over.
1: I can't believe it's halfway over because uh, I have a list. um, I have a series of note cards uh, tacked to Uh, a corkboard near my workspace at home, and one of those, you know, I have like a running list of best episodes, best series, best movies, best books about film, television, and just I'm like gathering string the whole year for my inevitable top 10 lists at the end, and I have 25 shows on my list of possible 10 best shows, and we're halfway through the year.
0: How much do you usually have at this point? How many?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. Last year, uh, at the midpoint, I looked at my list and I realized I had 13 shows.
0: You this was that like, was a lot. and I thought that was a <laughs> lot.
1: And then at the end of the year, I think I had 18. And I'm already past that, and we're only halfway through the year. It's crazy. It's crazy, and yeah. you know, now if I was really going to be hardcore about it, I would look at them and say, "Well, some of these are not; they're just not going to make it." Right. In another year, they might have. But uh, this year, uh, wow.
2: When you look at what you have on your on your corkboard for movies versus TV shows, are you seeing that your list of potentially best movies is as long as the television list?
1: No. However, mm-hmm. I should say that because there's so much television, the mental real estate is more occupied by television these days. I have right. a better sense of what's going on in the totality of American uh, television than I do in, say, world cinema. And that that wouldn't have been the case. Like, when I first started doing uh, television and film criticism simultaneously, it was 20 years ago. In fact, almost to the month. I think it was, like, August uh, when I started, 97, when I started doing TV criticism full-time at the Star-Ledger. And there were four major broadcast networks and a bunch of cable channels, and it felt like a lot, but it was nothing in comparison to now. And I felt like I could, like, if somebody said, hey, what are the best shows on TV, I felt like when I answered them, I could... I could feel confident that I had a reasonably complete opinion, and now I'm like I'm constantly, constantly having people recommend shows to me that I've never heard of, and I'm a television <laughs> critic. There's hundreds of shows. Yeah, it's, yeah. I'm like, whoa, yeah. that sounds good. When's that on? It's like it's been on for two years. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I'm like, canteries. Whoa.
0: Well, why don't we start with you, Jen?
2: I mean, I'll just go out of the gate and start with Big Little Lies, which. Just as a pleasurable, like addictive piece of television, was what I most enjoyed on that level. But the thing about that show is that it it, it ended up going to much deeper places, and certainly the depiction of domestic violence in the marriage with uh, Nicole Kidman and Alexander Skarsgård was just a- extraordinary. And I thought it was extraordinary performances, and just just a really great show all around. So that's certainly at the top of my list, if not the top.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's definitely on my list as well. And we were also going to be talking about our favorite episodes this year. And Mm -hmm. one of my favorite episodes is the finale of Big Little Lies, which was just Mm so perfectly paced and tense and kind of brought all the threads together from the entire season in a way that I feel like I haven't really seen on TV in a while, that kind of finale that really does deliver. It was like a perfect season of television as well, which is very, in today's TV l- landscape, it's hard to find seasons that feel really tight. Yeah. Because there's mm-hmm. a lot of bagginess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so this kind of checked a lot of boxes for me. Mm. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think we're going to be talking about a bunch of shows. And one that I completely had forgotten about how much I loved is One Day at a Time. Yeah, because it came so early in the year, I almost forgot. That's it was on my this list. Year. That's on my yeah. list of three, on Mine too. Yeah, nice.
1: three hundred eighty-five <laughs> <Yeah>. potential <laughs> top ten. No, but that was actually that. That was. I think that might have been the first one that I put down because it was early in the yeah. year. Yeah,
0: and if you if you haven't watched this show, it's a Netflix series. That's a remake of the Norman Lear sitcom, but this is a Latino remake. It follows a family. A single mother who was formerly a veteran and their grandmother, her, her mother and her two children. And it's just like kind of an old fashioned sitcom, but updated enough. I think it takes a little bit to get into that, this style of humor because it feels a little bit dated in a way.
1: Yeah, it's but, not a style that's really that popular now.
0: Yeah, but once you kind of get into it, it's so comforting and like you fall in love with the characters and you feel like it's it's so the the humor is so character driven that you can't help but laugh because you the characters are so endearing. Um it was just how I felt about it. Mm-hmm. And and this is an this is one where I just felt like I don't think that it's going to be necessarily an Emmy contention in the acting categories, Mm -hmm. but I thought Justine Machado was just incredible in her role. And obviously Rita Moreno is just a goddess and she's probably the funniest person on the show. So I would... Love to see her get recognized for this. She's um, great. Of course, uh, I, also I, one of pr- our best I, episodes of the podcast was when she was on. it. I was gonna say <laughs> I'm a little,
1: I'm a little biased because. Uh,
0: oh yeah, she seemed. I don't think we. Because she, she seemed to have a crush on you. She yeah. Has the for that,
1: well, so. it sort of made it seem. She sort of made it seem like she did, but I don't. I I think she. I think she just was turning on the Rita Moreno charm. <laughs>
0: She, yeah, I think she was but... playing
1: me like a Stradivarius,
0: <laughs>
1: but actually, it was one of the high points of my career when I when I told her that I did an impression of Marlon Brando, who she dated for a while. She said, "Do it for me," and I and I started. Well, well, Rita, and she went, "Okay, stop." <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's amazing. But yeah, so that's one of mine. Another of my favorite shows this year was Master of None, which. I have yeah. a real soft spot for, yeah. like, I think that show is just so comforting to me. I don't know. I can just start watching it and watch. It's like the perfect binge show, in my opinion. And I thought that the second season was uh, even better than the first. And I particularly enjoyed just how it captured this kind of feeling this like aching feeling when you when you like someone and this when you have a connection that happens so rarely and I don't know I feel like I haven't really seen it done in that way before and I think he really kind of gets kind of that feeling of loneliness in modern times and how kind of when you do finally connect with someone how painful it is because because of how isolated everyone is in in their own little worlds. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I just, no. I also I, I loved how experimental yeah. it was. Just you know, doing a, a black and white first episode, and and that whole episode, which was one of my favorites, New York, I Love You, which was not even about um, Dev or any of the main characters. They were in it very you know fleetingly, but it you know, was following all these New York characters, uh, the doorman, and and the, those cab driver guys who I just loved. I, I think there should be a whole show about those guys.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: totally. And the I, the I thought that was wonderful.
0: Yeah, the first dates episode was so great. And then something else that kind of isn't in that episode, but kind of fits with the themes that it explores is the cab scene at the end of the dinner party episode Mm -hmm. was unexpected. And kind of anyone who lives, anyone who's been in the back of that cab knows exactly how that feels. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And yeah, it's just, you know, I, I think it's the type of show that doesn't always hit it. In terms of, you know, sometimes it might hit too hard on certain topics, but when it does hit it, it's so good. And I'm totally one who who doesn't mind when it kind of hits points a little bit too hard, because overall, I think it's just so charming and has this kindness to it that I think is rare to see on television.
1: I agree. Well, I just uh, I I have here a list of my at this point in time, my top ten. And uh, Twin Peaks is at the top, and we're not done with it yet. But it's going to be—it's going to be at the top.
0: Yeah, it's going to be. I, I mean, <laughs> uh,
1: you know, uh, there could be—you never know with television. There could be something like uh, really great that comes along between now and then the end of the year. But uh, it's been a while. I don't think—I don't think a show has completely dominated my imagination in this way since Mad Men.
0: Yeah, you know, was on the air. I was thinking about, you know, as. Even with so much good television and how much that's going on, I think because we all watch so much television, it can be easy to get a little bored with what's happening mm-hmm. in pop culture. And I think that's why Twin Peaks came along and surprised me so much. And, and I was one who who was not expecting it at all. I think you, Matt, were – you were – you thought this was going to be. I something knew this real... is. I knew you this, knew this is what's going to happen. I just knew.
1: I just knew. But I just I'm... knew. It's like Lynch has great. been. There's something about Lynch. I knew. Yeah, I'll tell you when I knew. I knew when David Lynch walked away. Oh. I knew when David Lynch walked away. I was like, they better give him his money because this is going to be great. <laughs> this is going to be great. It's like he's basically saying, look, I don't know how I don't know what I'm doing, and I don't know how long it is, but you need to cut me a check so that it looks great. And I was like, okay, whatever he's up to, yeah. whatever his subconscious mind is up to, he must feel really confident, <laughs> you know. Totally. And I think and, uh, he was.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Think he was. I he mean,
1: and he and Mark Frost. We always tend to forget Mark Frost, but Frost, Frost is the guy who made David Lynch uh, a household name. We tend we tend to forget that, yeah. you know. Like I don't think I think if Mark Frost hadn't come along and put a collar around that mad dog. You know, that is David Lynch's yeah. imagination. I don't think people would have discovered him in the way that they did with Twin Peaks. I
0: think that's true. I am curious, because the new season is so much more experimental. I mean, obviously, Mark Frost has a lot to do with it. But I'm curious if he has any less to do with it, because the, the original run was a bit more... C-
2: well, conventional yeah, And yeah, and the original run wasn't all directed by David Lynch. I think no, that's also wasn't. an important right, distinction. Right. Like maybe
0: it Lynch has a bit more control. Yeah, he over probably does. And he and he and he, he
2: stepped away to do Wild at Heart. Well, that's you know? see,
1: like, now that's that I've been told that that's not true. That Lynch keeps saying that, but the like the chronology doesn't quite track on that. That it was okay. it was more of an issue. Like he was involved in uh, editing editing it uh down and uh and promoting it and stuff like that did interfere somewhat but he actually was you know it doesn't that's that that sort of more him stepping away and then coming for up with the cover story for why he did it and feeling bad about it i think mm-hmm. but also the larger the larger thing which i believe lynch and Frost Are both cop to is they never expected twin peaks to go past the first few episodes that they did in that initial half season mm mm-hmm. They were like, no, there's no way people are going to go for that. I mean, they were probably just like, what a miracle that ABC gave us money to make something this weird. I mean, and they, so they didn't know how they were going to end the story. And it's like, you got picked up. What? Oh, all right. (laughs) I guess we better figure out who killed Laura Palmer then. And once they did that, they had half of season two to go. And that's when they brought in like, you know, they started delving deeper into the Black Lodge and brought in ufos and a kind of a a really bad film noir subplot and you know josie packard turning into a doorknob and uh, like it was just bad. (laughs) excuse me it was a dresser knob dresser knob (laughs) sorry dresser knob and because that
2: makes a lot more sense than it does
1: it does we need to be specific about these things um (laughs) anyway but yeah twin peaks and it's funny because i and i think i've written about this in a couple of different pieces but Three of my favorite shows that have aired during this year are very strongly influenced by Twin Peaks. The Leftovers, actually four of them. The Leftovers, American Gods, The Young Pope, and uh, Legion. Mm -hmm. All four of them are very strongly influenced by Lynch. But then what isn't? You know, like any any TV show that's not trying to be quote-unquote realistic is, is owes a debt to David Lynch and Mark Frost. But those shows in particular, I thought, did such a great job of taking the innovations of Twin Peaks and making them into their own thing. And then David Lynch and Mark Frost come back, and it's like, oh... <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> it's like when uh, it's like the scene at the end of that horrible Robin Hood movie uh, for, with Sean, with Kevin Costner when Sean Connery returns as King John. Right. And I remember even like uh, you know I was in college when that came out and I thought it was kind of a bad movie. But when that came in, it was like, oh, that's what a, that's what a movie star looks like.
0: Right. That's what I, I felt. I mean, like. It is interesting. It's coming at this time when
1: it's coming at this time. It's coming at this time, TV. and I'll tell you, like I've talked to. I have talked to David Chase about the new Twin Peaks and Damon Lindelof about the new Twin Peaks. And they both have told me, yeah, it's amazing. They're in awe of it. They're in awe of it. And these are people who have worked, tried to do something in the tradition of Twin Peaks. And they know that this is greater than what they have done. I mean, there's like a humility when they talk about it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's Twin Peaks for me. But I also yeah. like, you know, I love sam- uh, Samurai and i almost the other year, like something like The Young Pope, which we laugh about. But I that's stuck in my mind. I think mm-hmm. that's an incredible. I mean, that was a, uh, just a unique like what show?
0: I miss talking about The Young I Pope. I do. <laughs> I know. Hot Pope. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, hot Pope. <laughs> he's a Pope and he's hot.
2: <laughs> I have Twin Peaks on my list, too. I just don't have it at the top. And mainly because I- I'm being conservative in that. We've only seen a certain amount of it yet, and I really feel like I want to see more before I say, "This is this is the greatest."
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, but there's been some great stuff. I mean, the leftovers was great, and I'm I'm struggling with that one for a different reason because now I feel like I have a personal connection to it. But Samurai Jack, and new th- season
0: that came back after 12 years. After right?
1: 12 years, and oh boy. Did every single minute of those twelve years manifest itself in and, what in in what Jindy Tartakovsky did? I mean that that, that is a master that is a stone cold masterpiece that season of Samurai Jack.
0: And this is the animated series on On Cartoon,
1: on Network. Cartoon Network. Oh well Adult Network. Swim. Um mm. but you could hang that thing on the wall of the Met. I mean it's a great work of art. And and like I really like I can't say a thing against it. I think it's really a beautiful show like you say samurai jack and you tell people what it's about and they're like what uh you know like that you... right but it's it's not what you th- it's like a silent movie i feel like i'm watching a late period silent film by like an fw murnau or or dw griffith or somebody like it's a really primitive simple way of telling a story but it's perfection and uh and do it's you... funny too
0: do you think you need to have watched the previous seasons.
1: No, watch? I don't think so. I think they I think they do a pretty good job of filling it in without being all expository mm. about it. Like all you need to know is he's a samurai, he's from ancient Japan, he's catapulted into the future and he's doing battle with a demon. And it appears that the demon is winning when this when this season begins. So anyway. But uh yeah and then you got stuff like uh, you know Better Call Saul, which I think has been great this year, The Handmaid's Tale So The Handmaid's
0: Tale was one that I thought would be, like, at the top of my list when it started. But it kind of started to lose me a bit as the show went on because I think towards the end of the season, it started to feel a little too plot-driven. And I think episode seven was the turning point for me, which is the one where you get Luke's story. And Mm -hmm. it really felt like an episode of The Walking Dead. And I was... Very it felt like he had met you know it's the one where he meets these people on the road, yeah. and like it's just this very strange, tonally a very different vibe from the rest of the series, and yeah,
1: it kind of felt like it, one for one for the dudes, it, yeah, a little bit, but it also
0: like didn't really tell you anything about him and no. and at that from that and then and then at around that time, I think it started to get uh this kind of go girly vibe, which is. <laughs> what uh, Emily Nesbaum <laughs> described it as. Yeah.
2: I mean there they're one of my issues, I, I still have it on my list because I think overall it was a really well done adaptation of that novel and I thought Elizabeth Moss was just extraordinary in it. It does it, it does get very heavy handed, like where a light tap might might be yes. perfectly fine. It'll be a big shove and it, um at certain moments. And I, I I hope in the next season it kind of restrains itself a little bit more. Well that's what worries me is I felt like it was so
0: good in those first few episodes and Mm -hmm. and as it went on i started to feel this heavy-handedness come out more and i i'm worried that it's not the type of show that's meant to just keep going for multiple seasons in this plot-driven way because Mm -hmm. what was so good about those episodes was like the claustrophobia of it you know or that's what that's how i felt about it and and obviously, Elizabeth Moss's performance is just incredible. And I would be very shocked if she wasn't a contender for for the Best Actress Emmy this year. She And yeah. she totally deserves it. I mean, she really, really makes that show. And all her performances are really great. You're, watching her work is just fascinating on its own. So in terms of episodes, I, I've mentioned a few that I... I loved already like the Big Little Lies finale and some Master of None episodes. And I think two others that stick out to me so far are episode four of Twin Peaks, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. Jen wrote about very well on Vulture. Uh, It's the one where you first meet Dougie. And I think that's the one where it kind of sets the tone for what the rest of the show is going to be like, where everything kind of clicks into place. It's really more importantly,
2: it's the one where you meet Wally (laughs) Branch. Oh yes, where you meet Wally Branch. This is great.
1: From Alexandria, Virginia to Stockton, California. I think about Lewis and his friend Clark, the first Caucasians to see this part of the world. Their footsteps have been the highways and byways of my days on the road. My shadow is always with me. Sometimes ahead.
0: It's the moment (laughs) where you're like, I think I might love this show.
1: (laughs) I rewatched that again just a couple of nights ago. Just that scene. It's amazing because it's just it's one of one of the most Lynchian moments in a Lynch show. Yeah, is they just let it go. They just let it go, and it's just it kind of it kind of becomes the Wally Brando show for a few minutes.
0: You kind of don't know what's happening, and then once you realize what's happening, you're like, "Oh my god, this is this is going on!" The best
1: part of it, what really what made me laugh out loud, like so hard that I think I might have slightly injured myself, is at the end of it when Roger Robert Forster, Robert Forster's character, just kind of unilaterally declares an end to it. He's like, "Well, have a nice night." (laughs) (laughs) He just turns around and goes back inside. Uh, So good. (laughs) so yeah that was great and and you know i love the episode i think it's episode eight or nine i can't remember the episode of legion that includes this unbelievable like several minute sequence scored to a synthesized version of Ravel's bolero (sighs) where you're going into the hero's consciousness and you're sort of untangling all of these knots so that everything makes real world sense that was amazing that was an amazing just sustained piece of filmmaking and uh the Daily Show episode that just aired this past week, where they uh, brought in, where they, they analyzed Brexit. I don't blame British people for not understanding what they were voting for, because this is something that has perplexed me for a long time. I mean, they called this whole thing Brexit. Who the hell came up with that name? Brexit, Brexit does not sound like a decision to sever economic ties that would have a lasting geopolitical consequence. Brexit sounds like what a hipster names their second born son. That's what Brexit is. Uh, This is Max and this is Brexit. Uh, Brexit's the one with the beard. Yeah, yeah. Like Brexit sounds like brunch for people on the go. Should we have brunch? I only have 20 minutes. Let's do Brexit. That's what it sounds like. People, can can we agree on something in society? If we have an important issue, let's give it an important sounding name. For instance, back in the day, When Lincoln made the case for the abolition of slavery, I'm not sure he would have had the same outcome if he was like, so you guys down for Slegsit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a class. That was like maybe one of the, might be my single favorite episode of that show that he's ever done. I mean, that was just, that was just everything. He was just nailing it all the way through. All the jokes were great. And uh, he brought Lord Buckethead in for a cameo (laughs) at the end. (laughs) Uh,
2: There are a couple that, We were talking earlier about how easy it is to forget things from January. One of my favorite episodes this year was the finale of The Good Place, which aired months ago.
0: That was this year? That was this year because that that
2: season kind of carried over into the very beginning of the year. And and I thought, you know, without giving away what happens, it, it just changes your entire understanding of what the show is. But it's also really funny and just... Just a st- sticking of a landing um, so of an ending of season one. Yeah, we
0: can't really uh, talk about it without spoiling it, but it's, right. it's definitely worth watching the entire season just to get to that.
2: And then also from the beginning of the year, the Lemons episode of Blackish, which, you know, I think in retrospect, this is the episode that talks about dealing with Trump being elected. Um, in retrospect, I think there are definitely. And maybe not even in retrospect, certain things that it oversimplifies a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but just in terms of the timing of when that, that episode aired and a lot of the issues it was trying to address, I thought it was a really extraordinary half-hour sitcom yeah, uh, episode Yeah, the timing
0: was really, really perfect. It really captured what everyone was feeling at the or a lot of people were feeling. At I that think
1: you moment. could, for me, you could choose almost any episode of The Leftovers, and it would fit nicely on a yeah. best episodes <laughs> list. Although I think yeah. the finale probably towers over the rest. Um, although the episode uh, right before that was also extraordinary.
2: I love the second episode of the season. I love the the Don't Be Ridiculous episode so much. I that think was that's great. my yeah. I, I love anything that the, you know. The Nora focused episodes always kind of win me over.
1: The episode of uh, Dear White People. That was directed by Barry Jenkins. Mm. Sticks in my mind is <clears throat> one of the best episodes, individual episodes I've seen this year of anything.
0: I So this season of The Americans wasn't my favorite one, but it. I think I, I started getting more into it towards the end. And there were, were more moments that I liked and scenes. And I think I can't remember which episode this was. But the one where Paige shows Pastor Tim's diary to her parents. Yeah. That scene. Mm-hmm. And that where they're episode. hanging it up on the. Yeah, uh, and there's. Uh, I forget uh, what it's Like song in, the, in the dark room. Mm-hmm. It's so great. dark. And like the way it's filmed mm-hmm. is so creepy. And it kind of. The fact that you have to read it. And then it's not being spoken. Like yes. how she feels. How. Th- what a burden the secret is on her. It. Like you've been feeling this. This whole time that Paige has this incredible burden on her. Yes. But then when they compare it to sexual assault. Yes. In the, like, just reading that. It's a violation. Yeah. It's a violation. And
1: and she has violated Pastor Tim's privacy as well. Like, there's a violation there. It's like, it's great. that Just the duality of, of what she's experiencing. It's like she's confessing something. She's forcing her parents to see what they have done to her. But it's also a demonstration of how successful they have been. At uh, turning her into a version of themselves. Totally. So it resonates on like several different levels, I think.
0: Yeah. And then another episode that comes to mind is the second to last episode of Girls.
1: Yeah. Which,
0: you know, includes that bathroom scene where all the, the girls kind of decide... Well, where Shoshana basically tells them they're not really friends anymore.
2: With the help of Byron, who has completed all 12 steps of Al-Anon, I have come to realize how exhausting and narcissistic and ultimately boring this whole dynamic is. And I finally feel brave enough to create some distance for myself. If you guys happen to know all of those really pretty girls out there who have like jobs and purses and nice personalities, those are not my friends, not you guys. I think we should all just agree to call it.
0: Okay. Great. Yeah. And then from that moment to the dancing scene in the apartment to Hannah driving away, I thought was just so beautifully stitched together. And Hannah's moment was just, I just thought like it kind of, that was the, that was the more traditional finale that we didn't get in the finale finale. Yeah. And I just thought it was beautifully done.
1: You know, this is something that I've noticed as well is that uh, sometimes shows are giving us uh, more than one finale.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: they're giving us you know i mean i can't i can't even count the number of shows where i've said oh the episode before would have been a good finale too yeah you know and having a sort of like and that's almost like the sopranos model in a way like almost every season to sopranos the episode the big bang the sort of traditional climax episode was the second to last episode Mm -hmm. that kind of was the season finale that most people would have wanted and then the one after that was the aftermath
0: like coda it was yeah. it was
1: it was sort of like now let's take stock in what happened and see how we feel about it which always usually those episodes were not as popular as the yeah preceding <laughs> one that usually ended with somebody getting whacked you know
0: yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> remember season three it was like that and it like i think season three ended with uncle jr singing songs in italian to people in a restaurant
2: yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I also want to mention one more episode that's just very silly that Please. I really enjoyed. Um, the Dion Warwick episode of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, um, <laughs> which I, that one was written by Tina Fey. And it's just it's very funny to me because if you've read Bossy Pants, you know that she had a harrowing honeymoon trip um, that was on a on a cruise. And I feel like she's still working through those issues <laughs> in that episode. Um <laughs> So uh, I won't reveal what happened because there's a real um, there's a real turn that it takes involving Titus and Dion Warwick that is just it's too delicious for me to tell you. But.
1: <laughs> I. Uh... A few years ago, you mentioned bossy pants. A few years I just have to share this story because it illuminates absolutely nothing. Uh, but I was in a hospital, <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I roll. Uh, a, a few years ago, I was in the hospital, and, uh, you know, never mind exactly how it happened, but I was recovering from surgery, and uh, I spent about two weeks there, and I was taking all kinds of painkillers, and I had a morphine drip in my arm. It was really like a low point emotionally and physically. And I had a bag that contained just a random handful of books that I'd brought with me from my apartment one of them was Bossy Pants. And I sat there and I was reading Bossy Pants and we got to the part of Bossy Pants where Tina Fey talks about her dad. And it was, you know, I was physically exhausted and I had all this meds in my system and stuff. That's what I tell people but i started to cry i'm sitting in this hospital bed reading bossy pants and i'm and i'm like weeping like tears are squirting out of my face and at that exact moment the door opens and my daughter walks in <laughs> and she stares at her father crying and reading bossy pants and there's a and i looked up and i saw her and there's a pause and then she said wow i didn't realize it was that kind of book
0: <laughs> wow <laughs> i love it So listeners, you know, if you have any shows that you think we egregiously left out, please do email us. We would love to hear from you. That email is still tvquestions at vulture.com. That's it for this week's show. The Vulture TV podcast is produced by Jordan Bell and Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. The Vulture TV podcast is part of the Panoply Network. I'm Gazella Mami and you can find me on Twitter at Gazella Mami.
1: I'm Matt Zoller Seitz. You can find me on Twitter at bossypants. No, I'm kidding. Matt Zoller Seitz.
2: <laughs> and I'm Jen Chaney, and you can find me on Twitter at Chaney J.
0: Thanks for listening.